Thank you, Libby and Millie and Rebecca, as always, accompanying. Have your Bibles turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2. We have been studying over the past uh, month of December on Sunday mornings the forgotten characters of Christmas. And, and tonight we'll focus on the baby Jesus and Mary in our brief devotional time. And we'll, we'll take the Lord's Supper together and think about what that means for us that Christ Jesus has come. But I really enjoyed this series. We started it off with um, the angel Gabriel. And then we talked about Joseph, who is often a forgotten character of Christmas, as so much emphasis is given to Mary as the mother of Jesus. And then we looked last week at John the Baptist, little baby John, his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, how they have this long section in Luke's gospel, yet they're hardly ever talked about. Why are they there? And we really saw from them the importance of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to be looking at Simeon. And Anna, perhaps of all these characters, the ones that are the most forgotten. And how wonderful that we had a song about Simeon just sung for us. But as you turn to Luke chapter 2, I want to think about what Jesus and his parents are really doing in this moment. You see, Mary and Joseph are going to take Jesus to the temple. And it made me think about... (laughs) When we had our firstborn child, and how, of course, we had to go to those doctor's appointments, you, you pretty much get the child, get the baby in the car seat, and go to the doctor's office, you know, they have the doctor's visit, and get right back home. Um, I have, we have friends in our uh, church in Opelika, they'd had like four or five children, so within a week, they were bringing their newborn baby to church, you know, but that wasn't us. Uh, we were really protective, that firstborn child, but I remember, I think the first time we took our baby out, my wife and I, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky, away from all of our family, just the two of us, and little baby Lauren, we, we went to a restaurant, and we had her in her little car seat, and I think she slept the whole time in the carrier while we were having dinner that night, but I would have been really, really uh, shocked, surprised if some strange old man would have walked up to us and said, can I hold your baby? And would have taken Lauren out of that carrier, waking her up and holding her and talking about God to her. That would really uh, freak me out, honestly. But that's what happens in the story. And we forget that. It's not every day that you bring a child into the temple and that this stranger will walk up, take the baby from you and start speaking prophetic words of God. This is quite a section of Luke's gospel. So turn there, Luke chapter 2. I want to begin, though, with verse 21 because it really sets up the point that I want to make about how Mary and Joseph truly uh, raised Jesus in the law of Moses. So verse 21 of Luke 2, we've just had the birth, the shepherds, the rejoicing, and then we have this. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a a, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So inside your bulletin, there's an insert if you want to follow along with the message. But the first principle we find is this, that Joseph and Mary raised Jesus according to the law of Moses. You see, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day as was prescribed by the law of Moses. Jesus was brought into the temple some 33 days after his circumcision, as prescribed in the law of Moses, it was a 40-day period that they were unclean. As a family, it was understood the way the birth occurred that there had to be this period of time for purification to, to take place. Once that period of time passed, they were to bring that child for purification with a sacrifice. Also, if it was a firstborn son, that son was, was to be redeemed or given back to the Lord with an offering, kind of a dedication of a child, which is why we do baby dedications in our church services. We simply give those children to God and dedicate them. So this was a twofold purpose for them going to the temple for purification for Mary and the family and also to dedicate Jesus to God. Now... They bring sacrifices with them. And those sacrifices are mentioned in Luke's gospel. But to understand kind of the background of this, look at Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. They should be, the, there's the scripture on the screen. It says, And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. He there is the priest, shall make atonement for the mother. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons 
one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So we see from the sacrifices mentioned in Luke's gospel, all that was mentioned was either a pair of turtle doves or a pair of young pigeons. We find that Mary and Joseph were not a wealthy family. And that's significant, that the king of kings would be born to humble, even poor parents. But though they had no lamb with them, they did have the lamb of God with them, the one of whom John the Baptist would say, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the principle is this, Joseph and Mary raised Jesus according to the law of Moses. What's the application for us? As parents, grandparents, and the older generation in general. If you have children that you know younger than you, siblings, people who look up to you, then you're older and you have influence this morning. But as parents, grandparents, older generation in general, we are to raise the next generation according to God's word. We're to raise up that next generation according to God's word. Now, I stopped reading in Luke 2, verse 40. But verse, look at verse 41. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. They were law-abiding Hebrews, followers of the one true God. And every year they made a journey from Galilee in the north of Israel up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover holiday. We have every reason to believe that Mary and Joseph had Jesus in the synagogue every time the doors were open. We have every reason to believe that Mary and Joseph kept the Sabbath. We know this from them having Jesus circumcised, then having Jesus dedicated, from them always going to the temple every year. Now, of course, Luke gives the account of how Jesus gets left in the temple and how he amazes all the scholars and the adults with his understanding and knowledge of Scripture. And we often say, well, that's because he's God the Son. I mean, he's Jesus. He wrote the Bible. He inspired the Bible. And I understand that we under Jesus is fully God, God the Son, and also fully human. I get that. That's, that's a mystery. It's hard to understand. This, as theologians call it, the hypostatic union. How did this happen? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit within Mary's womb fully God, fully man, yet I want to argue and make the point this morning. Let's not just so flippantly say, oh, he's God the Son, he knew the Bible. That Let's not take away credit, I believe, from godly mother and father who taught him the word. He was God the Son, but he was still a little kid. He was still a child. His mind was still growing and developing. Why else would he stay in the temple and not travel with his parents back home? That's what youth do. We do things like that sometimes. I still call myself a youth, right? <laughs> um, but Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men in large part because God gave him very poor but very godly parents who raised him in the law of Moses. 
We don't emphasize that enough. Oh, he's Jesus. He's God the Son. He knew the Bible. He was, uh, what an easy child for them to raise. Really, an easy child to raise? That you're raising the Son of God, the Messiah? Can you imagine the pressure that they had as parents? Just think about it. Let's think carefully about them. And let's learn from Mary and Joseph. Now, let's apply this some more to our context. Making sure that your children or grandchildren are involved in a local church is only part of what it means to raise up a godly generation. The Bible gives us much more. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I didn't think as I planned out these series of sermons that I would be reading from Deuteronomy and Leviticus on Christmas Eve, but it's just the way it is. But we find in Deuteronomy 6 powerful words about family, about training and teaching children. These are very significant verses for the Hebrew people and should be significant for us as well as Christ followers. You come to verse 4, and this is what they call the Shema in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In these words, Moses writes, that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So kind of four subpoints from these verses for us as parents, grandparents, the older generation. We are to, number one, love the Lord our God with all that we are. Love the Lord our God with all that we are. Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. When asked in Matthew 22, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus quotes this one. Matthew's Gospel 22, and he actually adds to it to love him also with all of our minds. The greatest thing that we can do as parents, grandparents, as just people in general in the body of Christ, as younger people look to us, is that we love God with all that we have, with all that we are. And this will take all of life as we grow as we succeed and fail and have victory and failure and struggle and mountains and valleys of life, trials and troubles and challenges, that we will love God with all that we are. Two, have God's word dwelling within our hearts. Verse 6 says that. These words I command you today shall be on your hearts. Too many times we hear a word from God, it passes through our brains, but it doesn't remain on our hearts. This idea of meditation on the word of God, to consider God's word, that God's word be upon our hearts, that it might govern the way we think, the way that we live, that word should be on our hearts so that our children see that children hear the word of God and that we have that word to speak to them and teach them 
because it's on our hearts. I think of Colossians 3.16, which begins, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Number three, diligently teach God's truth to our children. How interesting. Out of these four points, the first two deal with us and our personal love for God and our treasuring of God's word. And then Moses says, by the way, teach them diligently. That means we're to be intentional, to speak truth to the next generation because there are voices that are speaking to the next generation. I say voices, I should probably say screens that are speaking to the next generation. And we as parents need to speak truth and love and hope. It's funny, just the other day we're sitting together and and our youngest was already asleep And we were just sitting downstairs, just our two older children, my wife and I, one evening. And we were just talking. I forget what we're talking about. But it came time for bed, and one of of the, I think it might have been Carson, our middle child, he's like, can we just keep talking? He just enjoyed, you know, talking about things in life. And and it just reminded me, in the busyness of our lives, let's make sure that we're talking together, communicating, not just about Memories and family traditions, that's all fine, but about the Word of God. That's what we see um, in this passage, at number four, that we're to speak and live the truth of God to the next generation 24-7. So this is assuming, if we're diligently teaching our children, that we understand and know the Bible. Because if you've ever been asked to teach something, you find that you learn a lot more about it, right? You study, you learn it. Then you teach it. This also takes the pressure and the weight off the church to do all the heavy lifting when it comes to disciple making of children. No, it's your job. It's my job. It's our job as families to disciple and teach the next generation. Verse 7 is so telling that we're to teach them diligently. But then verse 7 says, talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk, by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, when you sit, when you travel, before you go to bed, right when you wake up, you're talking about these things, the Word of God. You're to speak about God's truth. And how much do we do that? It's time to put the phone down and talk as family about the Lord and ask our kids How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? If you think we model this as parents all the time and as a pastor's family, we're just, we have the same temptations, the same busyness, the same things always happening. And we have to carve out time very intentionally to speak. And I really appreciate what our student ministry is doing. Just recently, Cody and Amy and our, our student team, after the Wednesday night youth lesson, they were emailing out to the parents like talking points so you can go back home with your kids, maybe on the ride home from church or the next morning at breakfast time and talk about what they've learned. That's practicing Deuteronomy 6 as a family. Let's talk about this. You look at the next few verses, though. Verses 8 and 9, is, is, there was a literal obeying that they did. The, Hebrews, the, the priests would have a plate. The high priest would have a plate on his 
turban on his forehead that said, Holy to the Lord. The Pharisees would have what's called phylacteries. They would put God's word on their heads. They would write God's word on their doorposts. So what is this saying to us in application? It's saying that we're to saturate our home and our lives with God's truth. Let's look now at Simeon and Anna. What, what can we learn from them? Number two, second big principle Simeon and Anna were remarkable people whose devotion to the Lord made them vessels the Holy Spirit readily filled. To be filled with the Spirit, it's not like being vessels that are being filled up. It's being controlled, directed, empowered, guided by God's presence, God's Spirit. So last week we saw Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. When Mary comes to visit Elizabeth... And Mary greets Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, by the way, is is pregnant with John. And Mary has just conceived uh, by the Holy Spirit with Jesus in her womb. It says the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy, jumped for joy. Elizabeth knew that this was the mother of the Messiah. The Holy Spirit gave Elizabeth this revelation. Simeon, in the same way, sees this young family enter into the temple. How could he know? How many times did he see a young family bring a little boy in for dedication? How many times did he think, is this the one? Is this the one? Because God, the Holy Spirit, had spoken to him that he, Simeon, would not see death until he, with his own eyes, saw the Messiah, the Savior of Israel. How many times did Simeon say, is this the one? And God would say, no. Is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. But finally God says, yes, this is the one. And he, oh, and joy comes and takes that baby from Mary. Well, how, how, what was happening there? Was it this, this tug of war going on? I'm not sure. But he takes that baby and he speaks these prophetic words. We're not sure how long Simeon was waiting, but he had been waiting for Messiah. He says, Lord, now I can depart in peace. Mine eyes have seen your salvation. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary writes how important it is for people to see God's salvation, Jesus Christ, before they see death. Only a few weeks before they had circumcised baby Jesus and gave him his name, Jesus. That name means Jehovah is salvation. So how could this old man, Simeon, how How could he then take this baby and say, my eyes have seen salvation. My eyes have seen Jesus. He knows the name of Jesus without even knowing the name of the child. He doesn't speak the name of Jesus, but he speaks the meaning of the name of Jesus. Salvation is here. And not just for us, for all the nations. Because verse 32 says... A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. There is gospel mission implied in this verse to the Gentiles, the nations, those without God's special covenant revelation through the law that had been given to Israel. But now everything is changing. There is a light to the Gentiles and salvation is here for all people. That's why it's good news. So how might we apply from Simeon and Anna this to our lives? It's this, devotion 
to the Lord expands your or my capacity to be filled with the Spirit and greatly used by God. The heroes of this section of Luke's gospel are senior adults. They're the heroes. One is a man waiting for the Messiah so he can now depart and be with the Lord in peace. The other is a widow who's been a widow for the majority of her life. Look at Luke 2.25 again. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Look at verses 36 and 37. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Yet these obscure senior adults in Israel are now written in the Word of God. The story of redemption, the story of grace, the story of hope, the story of peace. They're in this story. Why? Because they were devoted to God. They sought God with prayer, with fasting, with righteousness, they walked with God and God gave them favor and allowed them to be there and was anyone else looking for Jesus but these two, but they see Jesus and they know he is the Messiah and they proclaim. You know, the, the shepherds, they had to be told the, the Savior's been born this day. Joseph had to be told by an angel. How did Simeon and Anna, no. The Holy Spirit told them. Read the text. It says that Simeon in the Spirit was being led by the Spirit of God. That's what led him to see the baby. This is the Messiah. Then he speaks a Spirit-inspired word of prophecy that this is salvation to the nations. Then this old widow who fasted and prayed in the temple, she sees him and says yes and begins to speak of all those gathered waiting for the coming Messiah there in the temple. As church leaders, we struggle to try to help people commit. Let's be at Sunday worship and be in a small group a few hours a week and read your Bible. You know, We know you're busy, maybe 15, 30 minutes a day of prayer and Bible reading. Anna is the exact opposite of such low expectation Christianity. Instead of counting the hours she prayed and fasted, one would have an easier time counting the hours that she didn't. Where are the men, women, teenagers, boys and girls of God who are devoted to the Lord like Simeon and Anna? Where are the pastors with this much devotion to Jesus? As Kent Hughes writes, about Simeon and Anna, they believed when few others truly believed in Christ's coming, they never gave up, but kept trusting and looking what an example they are even for us today. And it is no accident, church, that those throughout church history who have been greatly used by God to do incredible things for God were people who were incredibly devoted to God. 
And the more that we put into our relationship with the Lord, the more we'll get out of it. The more we pray and seek the Lord, the more God will bless the works of your hands for Him. I thought about an illustration. I thought about a phone or, or a hard drive on a computer. And we, you've probably had your computer before, your phone before, and it, you're trying to take a picture or a video, and no more space, right? Oh, man. So what do you do? Well, as soon as that moment passes that you've obviously missed, you go and you get those pictures or videos off the phone, save them somewhere else, then delete them from your device, and it frees up more space, right? Well, that's one way that we can increase our capacity of our hard drives, but we can also upgrade, right? Go from a 16-gigabyte phone to a 64-gigabyte phone. Go from a 500-gigabyte hard drive computer to a 1-terabyte hard drive computer. You upgrade, This is what happens when we grow in our relationship with God. The Holy Spirit will reveal things in our lives that need to be deleted. It's time for those things to go. We remove those distractions. We confess those sins. Turn from them in repentance. There'll be more of us readily available to be used for God. And the more we spend time with God and serve the Lord, He'll expand our capacity to serve Him. It's like an upgrade. He will stretch us. He will grow us. He will cause us to do new things for him or even the same things we've always been doing, but they'll have greater impact. So this morning, God is calling us to raise the next generation in the Lord, in the Word. So I pray grandparents and parents and those who have a heart for the next generation that you take this message to heart and say, God, what would you have me to do to impact the next generation. But also that we as the people of God would be so devoted to the Lord like Simeon and Anna that God would do something in our lives and empower us by His Spirit, deleting the stuff that needs to go, that we confess and turn from, and then stretching us and expanding us and upgrading us and empowering us to do the things that God is calling us to do. I'll say this quote again. It's no accident that those throughout church history who have been greatly used by God to do incredible things were people who were incredibly devoted to God. Pray with me. Lord, I pray that you would expand our hearts and our lives and our words and our actions and our deeds that we might do your work in this world. Love has come We've lit the candle of love. Light has come into the darkness. His name is Jesus. Lord, we with our eyes here, those that know Jesus Christ, we have seen your salvation. May we now be devoted to the Lord Jesus with our whole lives. And may we be used greatly by you to impact the next generation and the generations out there who've never heard the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would stir us up. Give us holy zeal for your presence, for your rule and reign in our lives. And may we fall in love with you, Lord, more and more that we might have the kind of hearts that are full of your word, that we might be able to tell others the truth of who you are, God. We fall so short of your glory, God. We confess how weak and frail and needy we are for your grace. But we come now to the fountain of life, to you, God, and you give it so graciously to us. 
You call us to turn from our sins and trust you with our lives. Lord, if someone today doesn't know Jesus Christ, let them come to meet this amazing Savior. Let them, like Simeon, with their eyes, the eyes of their heart, see your salvation so they can depart from this world into the next in peace and hope and joy, the promises of heaven for us. Lord, let us have that devotion for you. This new year, more than ever before, a holy devotion to be used by you, to be spent for you. Delete the junk out of our lives, God. Let us confess, expand us, God, and use us as a church for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, I love, or tell me the story of Jesus. What a great song. Just, Just keep telling me that story. Just write that story on my heart, every word. Let's have the word of God on our hearts so we can tell others about Jesus, so we can instruct the next generation. So just keep telling me the story of Jesus. You know what? Tonight you'll come back at 4.30 or 6. Do you know what you'll hear? You'll hear the story of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that story never grows old. So would you stand? Would you respond as we sing this together? If the Spirit is moving in your heart like he did in Simeon's heart to take a step, Take a step. You're not even sure what it means. Take that step. I'll guide you to understand what God is saying to you. Maybe it's time to become a Christian, join this church, get baptized, or just pray. Or say, okay, I just want God to use me. I want God to use me. You just come. This altar is open. We're here to receive you. Let's just seek his face and take time this morning to seek him in prayer as we sing about the story of Jesus.